Jody, you're listening to the Way Niagara podcast. Welcome to the Way Niagara podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Berta, here with Steve Lamar and Chris Douglish. February is a month focused on relationships as both Valentine's Day as well as Family Day in Ontario and other Canadian provinces are both coming up in the next few weeks. So I thought we'd start off by reflecting on past Family Days. So let's start with Steve. Yeah, sure. So for us, uh, we've always put a focus on just trying to stay at home, try to spend Family Day as a family. Uh, We do things like uh, our biggest one has been board games or video games especially pulling out Super Smash Brothers and just beat the crap out of each other for a few hours. That's lovely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chris? Oh, hey, our family, uh, we vary it depending on the mood, I guess, of everybody. Like, um, Kara kind of goes through uh, report card season just prior to family day, so we tend to treat it as a time of rest. So if she wants to go skating, we might go to the free skates here in, uh, in Smithville or in Grimsby. Or, uh, you know, we might just uh, everyone pick a corner and read a book or play on a, your Switch or whatever. Or we might just all engage in a big game of, um, of Monopoly or something. But uh, typically we tend to treat it as like just a low anxiety, low pressure, uh, do nothing but recharge kind of day. That's awesome. It's valuable. And that's why we want to bring this up. It's valuable to spend time with our families, but it's also valuable to have time to rest and having another kind of holiday in the middle of the winter there is, I think, kind of a nice thing to have, regardless of what you may choose to do with it. We just hope that it's something that is healthy and a blessing to you. And now today we are really excited to get into the first installment of our series entitled, What if Jesus was serious about the church? But before that, I'm excited to introduce our special guest, Dr. Andrew Blackwood. So let's get started. I am very excited to introduce a good friend of mine to the audience of The Way Niagara podcast. And so, Dr. Andrew Blackwood, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's always good to talk to you and um, always learn a lot. And so this is going to be really good. We are focusing on parenting today. So to kind of get us started, why don't you introduce us? to uh, to your family. Yeah, certainly. I have a lovely wife and two little girls. They're nine and six now. We live here in the St. Catharines area, and we have a very lively, energetic, expressive household. That is true. I have been <laughs> a witness of that, and it's it's always a lot of fun at the Blackwood house. So you've been a therapist for many years. You've been a coach You've written, you've written a book. You've done a lot of different things. You're, you're speaking. You've made many TV appearances. And so what is it that with all the different things that you have done research on and that you have spent time doing, what is it about parenting that has really kind of caught your attention in the last little while? You know, um, I've, I've done a lot of work, as you mentioned, over the years with mental health and everything from, you know, children to seniors. And um, it was a couple years back when my family and I were sitting out in the backyard and a couple family friends um, just sitting out there having a good time. 
laughing and one of my daughters was sitting you know next to me because she she loves to be close um and you know but then suddenly I the laughter stopped for her and she pressed up against my side and I could feel her body was rigid with tension and she wasn't even breathing Jordan and when I looked over I I could see that her eyes were fixed on a bee and I know a lot of people don't like bees, but her fear was so intense that it scared me. Even with 17 years of practice as a mental health professional, as a dad, I panicked. And I was thinking to myself, oh my God, this is bad. And I immediately flashed forward to a future, not only where she was afraid of bees, but she was afraid, you know, of just things in in, in general because of that level of intensity. Because I've seen how anxiety can really paralyzed people. And I said, I have to do something about this. So I really poured over all of the things that I've found effective, the approaches and, you know, over the years, and I integrated them into our daily conversations. And I watched her grow and believe it or not, within the space of a few weeks, she shifted from being paralyzed with fear to being 100% comfortable. I mean, we were at the Butterfly Conservatory several weeks after that moment. And she bumped into me again. But this time she looked at me. And she was like, Daddy, there are all these bees around. And I'm not scared anymore. And she skipped off as if it was never an issue. So that level of confidence, that level of comfort I believe that's the desire for every parent to see their child experience, but not every parent is equipped to, to, to pair their confidence with their care, right? We need both of those things as parents. We need to be able to express care, but also to competently help our children navigate their own emotions. And that's, that's what I'm really helping parents do these days. And that's awesome, right? Because not only, yes, you're helping parents, but this has a ripple effect for for decades, right? Because childhood is such a formative time. That's right. And so if you're able to learn those skills now, you're actually preventing a lot of potential mental health challenges and things down the road. 100 I totally 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 agree there is definitely a generational impact but there's also the the reality a simplified understanding of anxiety Jordan is when you have a picture of the future that's negative your, your body is going to feel anxiety it's going to register as anxiety so whether we're talking about bees or we're talking about school or we're talking about work the, the reality is we are going to feel anxious because we're going to have thoughts about the future. But when we understand how to uh, how to deal with those thoughts, how to shift, how to move, how to then picture what we want, it changes everything. So it's not like anxiety is gone. It's just that we understand it and we're better equipped to deal with it. Right, because triggers are always going to try to come at us and things are always going to try to be there. Um, but it's in how we deal with it. And sometimes, yes. And sometimes that means, you know, deep therapy and medication, all those different things. That is all very true. But at times it's also a matter of just having the tools in your tool belt to reframe your thinking. 
100%. And, yeah. and especially in the developmental phase, when your parents are really training you, whether they realize it or not, helping train you how to think and how to process the world, it's hugely helpful for parents to have these kinds of tools. And, and I'm just thinking right now, like when I was younger, like I wasn't diagnosed, you know, with anxiety until I was in my early twenties, but looking back, Mm -hmm. I could see it very clearly in childhood. And, but no one really knew like back in those days, that wasn't really discussed as much. And, but I can think back to like, I remember that I was in a school and I was really scared of my teacher. Mm. And that actually started to manifest in dreams. And it was one particular dream that was really scary that I had told my mother about. And, and so she had act- that, and that had actually led her to go and talk to the teacher and say, you know what, like my kid's scared of you, mm-hmm. like something needs to be done. And, you know, and so it was a great example of, you know, how a parent got involved in the situation. And I'm grateful because that those dreams didn't happen again and things got better with the teacher. And, and so, but sometimes kids don't share. And, you know, in this case, like you noticed it, you saw it. And so, and so what would you say to a parent that is trying to figure out how to, how to maybe notice their child's emotions that may not kind of come up to the surface. I talk about this in one of the modules in the online course that I do. It's called emoting, really understanding emotions because emotions are the language of the heart. And the truth is our kids are always telling us stuff, but we don't really understand what they're saying because we haven't learned to do several things. One is listen with our eyes, right? Ooh. Yeah, when when you observe things and we don't just come to conclusions about them, we actually cultivate a genuine curiosity. So when you see your child doing things like avoiding certain things or if they ask questions at a particular time of day or in a particular setting or if they have a particular look on their face, these are all cues for us to ask questions. You know, I encourage parents to um, listen in a way so that they actually get it. A perfect example, when I was um, taking one of my daughters to her second ballet class, she's like, Daddy, I'm feeling nervous. And she actually labeled her emotions. And a lot of kids don't do that. So she gave me she gave me a heads up, right? She I had an easy start to this thing. And she said, I'm feeling nervous. And then I said, okay, so what's causing you to feel nervous? What are you picturing in your mind? And she said, well, I'm, I'm what if I'm I don't have any friends? What if they don't like me? So that painted a picture for me. And what parents typically do, is they say, oh, don't worry about that. They dismiss the concerns, right? And if that becomes part of their way of responding to assure their child, what it does is it backfires because it tells the child that, you know what, your concerns aren't really big. I'm not going to take them on as, as if they are. So in opposition to that, I was, I was like, okay, 
I get it. I could see why you're afraid. If you imagine your friends, uh, all the people in your class not liking you. And then it was easy to transition from there to say, okay, but what if you had a great teacher and she was really experienced and she could see that all the other girls were nervous and she actually took the time to help everyone be friends. How would you feel then? And my daughter's like, oh, that'd be great. I feel so much better, daddy. And literally she moved on from that moment without feeling nervous. So the point I'm trying to make here is our kids are always communicating with us. The question is, are we aware and are we inquiring? Are we getting clarity about what's happening for them? Right. That's, that's really good. I love that. That's going to stick with me. Listen with your eyes, mm-hmm. pay attention to those things and just be ready to yeah, not dismiss it, but to speak life. Yeah, to see how it it makes sense, right? A lot of people think anxiety is an irrational fear, but anxiety is quite logical. When you understand what somebody is imagining, then you could see why they feel afraid. Whether or not it will ever happen is not the issue, because although uh, anxiety is based on a future orientation, you're actually feeling it in the present. You're feeling it now. So what we want to help them do is feel differently now by number one, listening, because the only thing that's worse than feeling anxious is feeling alone <laughs> with that anxiety, right? right? Or, or ashamed because you have that, that experience. So when we listen and we join them in the moment, it's really comforting and it's empowering and um, th- those are some really simple things that every parent, every single parent can do. That is so good. That is so good. And so now that we've identified that moment of fear, that challenge that that your child is is dealing with, you've given kind of a couple steps to to kind of help with that. And the first one is to stay calm. Mm-hmm. Why is it important for a parent to stay calm in that moment? Kids naturally anticipate that their parents will help them and that their parents will have the answers. <laughs> I remember one time my daughter got so upset because she asked me a question. I didn't know the answer. She's like, why don't you know? You're supposed to know this. You're <laughs> supposed to know everything. Um, and the truth is we don't know everything and we don't have to know everything to be a source of comfort for them. Right. So when if I meet people all the time um, and for the first time, even though I'm meeting them virtually, they're nervous. They're about to share some things probably that they've never shared with anyone in the world before. And there's a level of uncertainty and they're filling in the blanks with worst case possibilities. If I were to respond to them with these loud, harsh tones or be dismissive, not only would I be out of business, but I would be hurting them in the process. And the same thing is true for our kids. When they come to us with their fears, it's important for us to be able to be calm and to be receiving of them, right? To be receptive, to be embracing um, so that they get, you know, I can come to mom or I can come to dad when I have a concern. Because if it's it's an off-putting experience, they're less likely to come to us. And in the future, They won't see us as a resource that we are, but that doesn't really do anything for their desire 
to not be alone and to share what's happening with them. So then they'll go to other sources. They'll go to other people who don't care for them as much and may give them some really bad advice. So it is essential for us to be be equipped to be able to receive them with, with a sense of calm. That's so good. And it kind of leads into the next step is helping them to be calm. Right. Now, how do you do that? You know, helping them become, they fold into each other. One, when you're calm, okay, it, it automatically sets the tone. It doesn't escalate what's going on for them. Um, and I talked about this a little bit earlier. Listening in a way that shows that you get it, that in and of itself helps them become. As we listen and as we invite our children to talk about what they're experiencing, what happens is they start to develop a tolerance for whatever it is they're talking about. And a lot of the times we seek to move through moments so quickly uh, because we just want to get past it or because our, our anxiety is triggered about their future and we think the faster they get through, the better. But the opposite is actually true. The more comfortable you are to talk about something, to develop that kind of distance between it, when you own, okay, this is actually a thought. I'm feeling these emotions in my body, but I'm actually safe. It starts to communicate something to your brain that says, oh, I'm not in danger. I can handle this. I can talk about this. So there are three things we really want to increase at all times for all people. And it's very therapeutic. We want to increase our awareness. We want to increase our tolerance. And we want to increase our intentionality. When we are calm and when we listen to our kids with that sense of presence and that sense of calm, it helps them become aware of what they're thinking and feeling. It helps them to tolerate those emotions because only when you can tolerate an emotion can you then turn and actually address the thought or the issue. Because a lot of times we don't see change with our kids because they're so they're so wired. They're so their adrenaline is pumping. They're not hearing you. They're not considering alternatives. All their bodies are doing is saying, "Okay, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. I need to be safe." And so when we when we when we're with them in a way that helps them to feel calm, we're actually helping them grow. We're helping them grow new neurons. We're helping them grow new skill sets just from being still, not avoiding, but actually engaging and being present with whatever they're concerned about. That's so good. And the last is understanding what they really want and need and i emphasize the word really because sometimes what they actually want or need is not what is maybe apparent so how can a parent understand that in that moment you know when paul says to timothy god hasn't given us the spirit of fear but of power and love and sound mind that's not just um you know a wonderful prep talk pep talk right you know no, actually, it gives insight into how God made us. We don't function well in environments of, of, of anxiety, whether that's environment like a school or home or your environment internally in your head and in your heart. But power really is about strength. It's not 
just physical strength. It's the idea that I have some level of control and I can impact change in my environment. And love is really about significance. I matter. I belong here. If I'm not here, my presence is missed. I, I make it, it makes a difference. And then soundness of mind is really about safety. Am I safe? Not just physically, but emotionally. So I share this uh, diagram with, with people in the course um, because it's like a Venn diagram. These three needs for, for strength, significance, and safety, they overlap. Every single case that I've ever dealt with, with Jordan, where there's been an issue in somebody's life, old or young, it comes back to these things. Our behaviors are actually an attempt to meet a need. So if we're avoiding school, why are we avoiding school? Because we feel unsafe, whether it's a bully or we feel we feel we're going to fail a test. There's a lack of safety. Oh, well, why are you hanging out with these people? Well, it's a longing for significance. I want to belong, right? Why are you being so controlling? Well, I want to know that my, my choice makes a difference. So when we look at these needs, these are actually... God-given needs. And we can actually trace back their behaviors that are problematic and concerning to a legitimate need. And when we do that, it helps us understand their motivation. It makes sense of the behavior. And it also gives us insight to what to pray about and how them to connect to God for these needs to be met. Because only God can meet these needs, right? We may serve as a bridge, we may serve as a temporary kind of experience to help them realize, okay, you can feel safe in this world, but the reality is there's no guarantees in this world. The only thing that is secure, the only thing that can meet our needs is God himself. So understanding this helps us to understand the behavior, but also serve as a bridge to connect them to God. That is so good. And I'm just going to encourage anyone that wants to get to know Dr. Andrew Blackwood more, go to coachdrew.ca. There is a lot of great things there, great content. There is so much more to learn. And so I'm just so grateful for you taking the time, helping us to be calm, to help our kids become calm and to understand what is really underneath the surface. And I just love you know, that verse in Romans is is a life verse for me. And so hearing the way you talk about it is just really, really cool. And so I'm really appreciative of you coming on. And so thanks again, Andrew, for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, Jordan. Anytime. Well, welcome to the first installment of our series, What If Jesus was serious about the church based on the book of the same name by Sky Jitani. Chris and Steve, I am really excited to be able to talk about this. And so, Chris, why don't you introduce us to the format of kind of how we're going to have this conversation? Yeah, so the book is broken down into kind of five major uh, conversations around the family. Um, the family being the family of God, uh, the children of God, and how the family is to interact with each other. Um, and the first one that we're going to be jumping into is called the family reunion. And for some people, that kind of uh, family reunion might bring some stress. I know uh, going to family reunions uh, often means seeing family you haven't seen in a while. It's usually a big organization. It's a, usually a big uh, pile of chaos. 
Um, but uh, he, here we're talking about the family reunion of, of reunifying the church. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to get into this. And uh, under each of these kind of uh, major themes, there's, there's micro themes um, that kind of ask the question, if Jesus was serious, then dot, dot, dot. And so uh, we're going to kind of walk into those, those micro thoughts together. The, what if Jesus was serious about the church? And Sky really challenges us here to, to, to think deeper about our connection to what we would define the church as, but also to think deeper about how we as individuals uh, interact with the church who should be our eternal family. That's really good. And I'm really looking forward to having this conversation because Way is a community that is looking at doing church differently. Just because it's been done a certain way in the past doesn't mean it's the way we need to do it. And we're not trying to criticize any other churches. We're just trying to have a look inward to see kind of what the Lord is leading us into. And of course, we want you to join with us in this conversation, even if you're outside of Niagara and you're just trying to reflect on what does church look like in your life and in your community? And so we are really looking forward to having this conversation. And so let's start with kind of sub-theme number one. If Jesus was serious, then we must be dedicated to a community and not merely an institution. And I think a lot of the challenges with church in the last number of years, especially with moral failings and all of these things, the kind of topic of protecting the institution has come up and when we're not trying to be held down by an institution there's actually a lot more healing and life and discipleship that can come through that and so i think that's a really important thing to remember well i think it comes back to how do you define the church too like there's kind of four definitions that we would vernaculate one being uh, a building uh, or secondly an event perhaps an organization, which is where a lot of the, the trouble with the institution comes in, is, is in the, uh, you know, running it like a business. But also, finally, it's, uh, it's a community, like living in union with uh, Jesus and with others. It's, uh, that's where we find how we define church that way, is that community. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've noticed going through this, and this is a study I feel like I've been doing for 10 years, because it reiterates so many points about the New Testament church. Um, One of the things that really stands out to me is that this focus is on what is our focus in the church? Is it on God? Is it on worship? Or is it on, I'm supporting my church? Church A is my church, and that is the institution that I subscribe to. Or are you going to experience God? And I really like what Steve said about it being focused on God, not kind of the institution. And that kind of leads into number two, that if Jesus was serious, then we must remember it's his church, not ours. Right? And that can be a real challenge sometimes because we focus the programs on us and the events around our schedule and all of these different things. But really, what we see in the, in the scripture is that the church is Jesus' engagement, God's engagement with his people. And I think it is really important that we remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Sky kind of put it in, in the idea of a bus. Like if Jesus is driving the bus 
are not all welcome on that bus, right? It, it, it's his bus. But when it becomes our bus, when we're driving the bus, who's welcome on that bus? We get to decide kind of who the people are that get to come on that bus because they're, they're our people or they're people that look like us or they're people that sound like us. So when we create an institutional bus, you're creating something that's consumed by people like you. But the Church of Jesus is very different. Like if Jesus is driving the bus, all are welcome at that to ride on that bus, to be part of that bus, no matter where they're from, whatever diversity they are, however they think politically, however they, they, they might stand uh, in their sexual identity, Jesus is driving the bus, they're welcome on that bus, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. And it's a theme that comes up multiple times in this book. Uh, when you think about the early church, uh, you're looking at the Jews and the Gentiles, who were very opposed to each other on many, many, many things. However, the New Testament church is pulling them together. And I think that's a, something that we can really look at for the church today. Who are we actually pulling in together? Is this about us and our people, or is this about God and his people? Hmm. Yeah, like imagine being uh, someone who might have different types of, of neurodivergences. Uh, do you feel welcome at your standard church? Is it, is it a place where, where if you're struggling with those uh, maybe that maybe the sound is just too is overstimulating, or maybe the the lights and it, it just it takes you out of worship. Um, is is that a place with a bus that you're welcome on? Um, and we find that here at Way often that there's many people that are like, I just can't handle the the big noise and the big show and the big thing. I just need something simple. I need it small. I need it. I need it packaged for me. And I think that's when Jesus is driving the bus. You're going to have all the things because he invites everyone into. That, that relationship and I find that when we remove ourselves and our own preferences from how we do things it becomes a low anxiety place for many people as long as there's leadership that supports that kind of vision right and it makes me think about this lyric from a song called there's always a place at the table hmm. and the first verse says this he'd gotten used to living on the outside looking in lonely was his only constant friend so when the invitation came that clearly bore his name, he hardly could believe the words he read. And it go, kind of goes on to talk about how there is always a place at the table of God. And I think that's just a powerful reminder that if we are going to be Christ's ambassadors into this world, we need to be welcoming. We need to be inviting those people that are on the margins, those people that are feeling like, they are on the outside and that no one's going to accept them. Well, we need to be the people that, is, that are going to welcome them in. Well, I hope that you have been inspired by the start of this series entitled, What If Jesus Were Serious About the Church? Now, we're leaving you on a little bit of a cliffhanger there, and that's okay, because join us next time as we continue the conversation on the Way Niagara podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Bye for now.